1: Joe hello Joe can you hear me no I can't I can't hear you sorry good old technology which is the topic of our conversation, part of it, that is.
2: How about now?
1: That's better. Here he is. Okay. Okay. How's that? Much better, my friend. How you All doing? Good? Yep. You sound right. You sound great to me.
2: All right. Uh, hopefully, let's make sure my internet is still holding out. I believe it is. And if so, we are good to go.
1: Well, hopefully the internet gods don't get in the way (laughs) of our conversation today.
2: It would not be the first time, but uh, I don't anticipate it. It's just on occasion, it happens.
1: Yeah, it's happened to me quite a few times, actually. But thank you for agreeing to do this with me. And uh, I apologize in advance for having to reschedule with you twice. I think it was now. So I appreciate uh, that was the, no
2: the, the the first one I, I believe the first one or one of those was me. So
1: it's all good, my friend. It's was, all good.
2: Okay, so um, and and you say you you go for an hour, correct?
1: Around an hour, yes. If that's all right with you.
2: Sure, sure, it's fine. Amazing. How's your book been going? Uh, good. It's uh. It's always a work in progress getting getting people to read it or, you know, well, first to get people to buy it and then people to read it, but um, good.
1: Is that the book on to your right? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Keep it like that. Good marketing material, that. Yep. Love the front cover as well. I, To be honest with you, Joe, copy of the book hasn't arrived for me yet uh mainly because I'm in Australia and things take forever sure. to arrive but uh it is on the way i've been told <laughs> it's just taking too long to get here but um no problem. I've got the the marketing thing that they give you they send out to you and uh, i know you're you're turning up looking a little bit you're looking a lot better than what the host is, mainly because I'm in Queensland, Australia, and it's really hot. So that's why I'm in a singlet, man. <laughs> I don't want to be sweating no on my own show. Um, so,
2: hey, um, real quick, real quick, I may get cut off. I'm going to have to switch my internet to my, my phone. I can tell already that you're, you're kind of breaking up. I'm just going to switch it real quick. It, it, maybe it'll... Cut us off, maybe not. If it does cut us off, we right back. But it's, it's better than um me freezing up in the middle of the show. You're
1: right, my friend. All good.
2: Okay, I think we're good.
1: He's back. You just froze for a second, then you just returned.
2: So. I, I I assume we're good to go. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's always seems like there's always something. The the um maybe the reason that I uh, have all these problems with technology is because I have so many problems with technology.
1: I agree with you, man. My my Zoom constantly stuffs up on me. I, I have the same same problems as you. But uh, it's,
2: it's astounding that anybody puts up with this. But hey, here we are.
1: It's that kind of world, isn't it? Yeah, it's
2: becoming much more so as time goes on. Yes,
1: they you made they've made it so that we are solely reliant on technology for our everyday life, but yet when it goes awry, all hell breaks loose, and it's really
2: annoying. Imagine having it in your brain, and just suddenly that wheel appears before your eyes, and nah, you spend days staring off into space
1: forget that that's like a sick joke to me (laughs) it's bad enough when i see it on a screen let alone in my actual head nah that that's that's crazy
2: still a dream still a dream well maybe they'll never do it we'll see
1: well hopefully it stays a sick dream (laughs) to me but uh joe is there anything off limits out of respect for you man
2: i'm I don't think so. That, you know, I, I can't uh I can't talk about some of my latest adventures adventures in conservative world for uh, professional reasons, but um so no dirt there, but that's about it.
1: Well, I normally do a quick formal intro. I'm I'm very much looking forward to diving in to your work, your research, your writings, all those wonderful things. So I normally do a quick formal intro and then we dive right in. All right, ready to roll. Well, everyone, welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. Today, my friends, I'm delighted to welcome Joe Allen to the Storybox. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with Joe and his work, he's written a brand new book called Dark Aeon. Now, for those of you that need to know more about this, it's about transhumanism and the war against humanity. But instead of me doing a little bit more of a deep dive and explanation in this intro, I thought it would be best if I... Switch the introduction on to Joe and ask him, Joe, who are you? What do you do? What is Dark Aeon? And what is the war against humanity currently?
2: Well, Jay, very good to be here. Um, Joe Allen, the tech editor for The War Room with Steve Bannon. I've written for a number of publications uh, leading up to the completion of my book. Uh, The book, uh, and it's uh, Dark Aeon, Dark Eon. Um uh, me and Steve, Steve Bannon, we uh, argue back and forth as to how it's pronounced. but um, the the concept is pretty simple. That is that uh, our world is being and will continue to be flooded with radical technologies. And the transhuman element is the decisions. Uh, this, it's about the decisions. What do you do with all of these technologies? Uh, transhumanists would tend towards the radical edge of adoption, along with the extreme effects of the technologies, whereas I, of course, fall as far on the reluctant late adopter, perhaps uh, quasi luddite, in as uh, I possibly can. Although uh, it's been noted many times, uh, what do you do for a living? What tools do you use? And you know, here I am. Here we are in virtual space. Next stop, virtual reality. Uh, Next stop, it'll be uh, me telling you all about this from my neural link to yours. So uh, that's uh, the real rough sketch, though. of The the, the book itself is really uh, a a deep look at everything from uh, artificial intelligence to genetic engineering. It's a a deep look at the religious implications, not only uh, of technology as religion, but also uh, from a traditional standpoint, what does it mean to live in a world dominated by these technologies? And uh, my my intention really was to communicate the urgency of our present situation and the the need for sober assessment and very, very careful decisions, probably a lot of hard decisions going forward.
1: Well, welcome so much to Storybox. It's really a a pleasure to have you here. And I've been very much looking forward to diving into your work, uh, especially because, well, I've been rather interested in this huge transformation in our world currently, and it's happening so quick, not just on the technological front, but the human front as well. The way our brains are quickly, we're trying to change so and adapt to everything that is happening around us and technology is advancing we've got AI there's a lot of scary things going on in our world currently so i think having your book is quite vital and quite important but for those of for those of my listeners that may not know or be familiar with what actually is transhumanism would you be able to give them a brief explanation
2: sure at the very uh, basic uh, transhumanism really is the uh, the it's a response to all of these technologies and again it's the the, the question what do you do with them the answer is uh, you push it to the limit uh, the the word itself uh, derives uh, an originally the first to ever use the term uh, to anyone's knowledge was dante mm-hmm. uh, as in dante's inferno uh in in his work in his poem in his epic uh he spoke as as he was moving from purgatory towards paradise um he spoke of um uh, being transhumanar that um this, I'm becoming something more uh he compared himself to the um uh, glaucus from uh, i believe it's ovid a uh, roman poet uh the man who um went to join the sea gods became more than human beyond human Uh, the next to use it was julian huxley in 1956 in a lecture uh, printed as an essay in 1957 and julian huxley spoke of transhumanism in terms of human beings taking taking up the greatest business of all uh, that of our own evolution and he saw a world in which science Uh, allowed human beings not only to understand themselves in the world, but to control our own development and long-term development um, pretty much at will. Uh, He believed that, he he spoke oddly enough of transhumanism as a kind of belief system, Uh, said something to the effect, and I paraphrase, that uh, once uh, most people could say, I believe in transhumanism and going beyond the human, uh, then the, the next phase of our evolution would see us become something more different than we are now, na- uh, more different from us as we are now than we are from Peking man, from the cavemen. Uh, the, the next real burst, though, for the word comes from Max Moore. Max Moore is a, a British philosopher. And uh, in the 80s and 90s, he and his wife began to speak of transhumanism in somewhat the same fashion that Huxley did, but very much with an emphasis on the technologies. And uh, Moore himself is a libertarian. Moore didn't really write or speak about the implications, what these technologies will allow humans to do to others as much as he was... Really looking to you could say he wouldn't want it put this way, but you could say that uh, he was looking at these technologies as a means for individuals such as himself and his his compatriots uh, individuals to become gods through these technologies and that was a fringe intellectual movement though it really took off from there and um, now really what what I call transhumanism really kind of lifting. His term, as it was applied to that, that circle of thinkers around him, and it's a very diverse group of people who argue and squabble amongst themselves as to what is, in fact, the proper use of these technologies and what is, in fact, our ultimate trajectory by way of these technologies. Uh, but what, uh, what it, they're describing is, as I see it, the rise of a technological system that functions pretty much in, in most or maybe even every capacity that religion has traditionally functioned. And it it is shaping up to be a world of AI gods, of brain chip communions, of um, genetic sanctification, you could say, or purification, and um, ideas such as uploading the mind and living as a digital being in a virtual heaven. Uh, All of these, these ideas that are put forward, and again, they're very, very diverse, I try to capture that diversity in the book as best I can without making it any longer than it already is um but uh these these ideas have been described as you know the the dangerous right like um Francis Fukuyama described transhumanism as a whole as the world's da- most dangerous idea uh I would say that uh taken to its extreme and taken to its most. Irresponsible conclusions, uh, it is undoubtedly, at least in potential, as dangerous as fascism was during the 20th century, as dangerous as communism was during the late 19th and 20th century and now, Um, and I I, really, in essence, I think that the waves of technological innovation and the abilities they grant to the, the ruling class, the everyone from the billionaires to those in the government and the military-industrial complex who can use these to dramatically uh, curtail the agency of their populations. I think that the radical embrace of these extreme technologies uh, in in those societies that do so could very well be perhaps not the end of the world, but the end of the world as we know it now and the beginning of something uh, quite ugly
1: thank you for that explanation i thought it was absolutely brilliant and one of the things that i did want to touch on is this it is a very dangerous idea i'm aware of that but why is it so prevalent in our society today and why isn't like a lot of people actually really concerned with this whole dangerous notion of transhumanism you think why why are they so more inclined to go along with it and say oh this is amazing rather than say hey no this is actually more dangerous than we think.
2: Human beings are quite easily led into uh very uh I, I, I want to put it nicely, but uh people are sheep. <laughs> yeah. People are sheep, and people love convenience. Uh and then among those who are more savvy, they want power, they want control, they want control over nature, they want control over themselves. Uh, But most ominously, they want control over other people. So these technologies, artificial intelligence, advanced algorithmic systems, surveillance systems, uh, obviously the weaponry that we're talking about, uh, even uh, lethal autonomous weaponry, which seems to be just over the horizon, uh, the ability to manipulate or at least exploit financial markets, uh, the uh, the amount of wealth and convenience that is promised by robotics, and then of course, the extension of life, the expansion of health, the expansion of human capacities by way of biological manipulation, even genetic manipulation. And uh, so all in all, I think that um, at the top of the society, it's largely driven by uh, a desire for wealth, power, and um, a longer life, you know, a longer life longevity. Um, as you move down the ladder, though, uh, into the public, uh, we want the same things. I don't think we could ever expect to get the same benefits as the ruling class. That's uh, that would be absurd, although some do speak of it in those terms. Uh, that's one of the appeals that if you had your own A.I. trained on your personality that this super-intelligent version of you would allow you to compete and excel in a hyper-digitized world that is, by and large, controlled by greater and greater AIs. Um, These sorts of uh, appeals to power and ambition are also part of uh, our uh, dilemma as well. But, no, I think that for the massivists, it's just really a matter of, um, man, look at that new gadget, isn't that cool? or even people who have kind of an ick factor towards things like a brain implant, uh, something like Neuralink, which Musk is touting. Uh, uh, oh, even that ick factor, I think, has largely uh, subsided for many people. And uh, a lot more people perhaps jokingly now say I would be the first in line to do it uh, than I ever would have expected. And Elon Musk is managed to develop a kind of you know to 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 um assemble a, a cult of personality around himself he's cool right for a lot of people he's cool and it really is i think in many ways as simple as that for for that particular thing or any of the other bizarre transhuman visions that musk offers um people not all people but perhaps most people are sheep-like enough that all it really takes is the notion that I am associated with something cool uh, to push past a, a number of ethical, uh, spiritual, and uh, I would say just sensible barriers that, that normal human beings would have and resistance normal human beings would have to the notion of a deep invasion of technological systems not only into your body, but a system that at least as Musk dreams of it becoming uh, a system that would have access to every part of your brain Mm -hmm. would have access to every thought, every impulse. And in theory would be able to manipulate those because he envisions it as being a whole brain input output system. So everything that you would project would be going into the system, everything that you would just be, that would be inside your mind unconsciously beyond any intention of your own would be accessible in this vision. And of course, um, an AI system or a whole suite of AI systems would be able to manipulate that brain. You don't have to have a, a paranoid imagination to envision some of the negative consequences of that. But, uh, that's, Maybe, perhaps we uh, could talk about the brain implant at length if you'd like or, or anything else. But um, I, I think that the, in, in short, the, the real danger that we face is that we'll be seduced by the promise of greater control over ourselves, the environment and other people. But in fact, uh, these systems will, in effect, take control over us much more so than they already have.
1: Why aren't you a sheep? Why aren't you easily led by, I guess, the transhumanism sort of ideals and this whole notion that it is going to be fantastic if we had this brain implant? You know, the the new is good kind of framework that they've spun around this whole idea. Why, why aren't you happy
2: with it? Well, to the question is, why am I not a sheep? I, I am a social creature. So the herd instinct is certainly in my uh in in my mind or in my being uh, as, as much as as the next guys it's you you know it could be argued that I am um, a sheep in a much smaller flock uh those that got spooked those that are going in the opposite direction uh, I would like to think though that some degree of individuation and self-reflection allows at least a significant number of people to break away from groupthink and develop their own reasoning. Uh, To the extent that I've been able to do that, perhaps I could credit that for uh, my sense of uh, uh, wariness and dissent. I'd like to think of it that way rather than being another lamb in a smaller herd, but who's to say? In, In essence, though, uh, a number of experiences from when I was very young and uh, ideas that I arrived at when I was very young oriented me uh, towards nature as opposed to really uh, society and civilization as a whole, but certainly um, technological civilization. You know, I was raised rural, uh, you know, I was raised um, somewhat redneck and um Perhaps just that early those early experiences of technology as being an invasion as being something that swept away what was there and um created something new and undesirable uh those sorts of things from when i again when I was very young, uh perhaps that was part of it, but uh if there there's never really a moment that one could mark that has completely changed their lives, although uh, for instance, Christians will oftentimes mark a moment that they were saved or that, that they came to Jesus. But uh, I, I mostly remember it as a kind of gradual progression uh, into my late teens uh, as, as being just, I, I jokingly say in the book, you know, uh, that kid who was freaked out by household appliances. Um, and in some sense, it may be even as, as silly and ridiculous as that. But getting a hold of uh, Theodore Kaczynski's Industrial Society and its Future certainly added uh, at least some, some degree of intellectualism to the position. And if, if you've read it, you know it's a very short tract. Uh, at the time was published uh, in various newspapers around the country as Kaczynski waged a bombing campaign against technologists in America. Uh, But the the work itself, uh, outside of his murderous campaign, the work itself is, in fact, uh, I think, quite logical, beginning from the the premise that human beings have an innate need for power and for freedom, uh, that there is some innate value to nature, and that technology, as it develops into larger and larger scale systems, uh, conferring greater and greater degrees of control upon the elite, uh, inherently tamp down or inherently constrain that freedom to the point that, in essence, human beings are rapidly creating a kind of a mechanical prison around ourselves. And that uh, image, that notion rang true then, and as we moved from the 90s into the 2000s, and I watched the rapid development of technology, uh, everything from the Internet to all of the devices that now flood our lives, to autonomous weapon systems that were first employed under Bush and then, um, and then a lot under Obama, quite quite a bit more. Right? You know the drone systems, most infamous, uh, and then you know 2011, the discovery of the CRISPR molecule and its ability to, um, with relative ease as compared to previous methods, to alter the human genome in a very pre- precise man- manner to knock out or now even to add nucleotides to the genome, to create custom genotypes, so on and so forth. Uh, And even the the advances in robotics in the last 10 years have been really, really astonishing. If you look at all of this as progress, if you look at it as if uh, the more complexity these machines attain and the more power they confer upon their owners – the The more progress humanity is now enjoying, and the more wealth and um you know all 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 ships will will rise on this tide and so on and so forth um, okay I, I I get it. It makes sense, but um many times throughout human history, I think we've overextended ourselves, not necessarily technologically but civilizationally, absolutely and the twentieth century gave us some taste of what happens when we overextend ourselves. Technologically, everything from the working conditions in the factories of Europe in the early days of industrialization uh, to the uh, kind of mechanized or industrialized uh, murder of human beings that was seen during the world wars and various other campaigns around the world. And the degree of suppression that technology allows dictators to uh, enforce on their populations, all of these things Lead me to believe that the fruits of technology uh, are bitter at best, poisonous at worst. Did you grow up in a religious sort of setting? I did, yeah, a fundamentalist setting. And uh, huh. very early on, I I came to reject that fundamentalist perspective. Probably around thirteen or so. Uh, certainly by fourteen, uh, I was looking for something more. But as a small town, I had to. I really had to uh, look hard and then I, you know eventually go abroad but yes uh it and it really has colored in many ways the way I look at technology I, you know some of the earliest impressions uh, negative impressions I had that was that were um confirmed by the, the adults around me and and uh, people in authority around me uh, it, you know I grew up in the early or in the late part of the uh the 20th century so uh, you know by the mid 90s or really by the late 80s, uh, you had a lot of people talking about the end of the world, and the end of the world was going to uh, undoubtedly occur by the year 2000 or in the year 2000. And so uh, among you know the Southern Baptists and the Seventh-day Adventists and various other kind of uh, fervent and fundamentalist sects around me, you had this this belief of the end of the world that was tied to technology in so many different ways one of the classic motifs was that the beast system would require all men and women to get a, a chip, an RFID chip in the hand and a barcode on the forehead. Uh, they they saw the prophecies of Revelation in the 13th chapter um, as having a technological component, and those technologies had just come online, right? So you had I think it was 1997. They uh, patented a human-grade RFID chip uh, that had been used in animals already for some amount of time, and people saw that patent. They freaked out. And you know, patents only mean so much. It's only when they get developed and deployed that they really mean anything. And it really wouldn't be. I don't think. um, I I don't think that it was actually um, developed until uh, and, and actually put on the market. It was Verichip, and that was after the year 2000, but before I go on with all that, just to say that that religious uh, upbringing, that fundamentalist religious upbringing, uh, did early on kind of lay, uh, it overlaid the two narratives on one another. This uh, apocalyptic narrative from Revelation uh, overlaying the the rapid and um, increasingly unnerving advance of technology. So, and that sits in the background of my mind still, too. In fact, I wouldn't say in the background. I just simply interpret it much differently than my uh, my fundamentalist teachers at the time, my fundamentalist ministers. I, I, it, it, that was very disillusioning for me in my teen years especially. I'd already become disillusioned with the idea that God would be so simplistic as to create a a, a world in which he... Knowing that humans would make different choices gave uh, this complex world to us with all of its variety, but it all hinges on a single choice, and that's do you accept Jesus or not? And if you accept him, then you go to heaven for eternity, and if you do not, you go to hell for eternity. And the idea, even as a young man or as a young boy, it it uh it just didn't make any logical sense. The world is so complicated. everything in the world is so complicated. even binary choices aren't common in the world and And yet this idea that everything would hinge on this single decision and many people not necessarily even having that decision put in front of them, and humans living very complicated lives from you know from the a day to a hundred a hundred and ten years. And all of the the complexity of of nature and society and all of that just so you could have a testing ground to basically fill up heaven and fill up hell for all of eternity, hinging on this single question, and God knowing good and well that many would choose hell or at least not choose heaven, and therefore God creating a place for the specific purpose of torturing souls for all eternity for decisions they made after uh, a very brief amount of time, cosmically speaking. It made no sense, and the apocalyptic narrative also made less and less sense the older I got and the more I was looking around. Like, yes, it, we were definitely hurtling towards something strange, uh, but the t- the kind of cosmic totalizing vision of the fundamentalists around me um, seemed increasingly ridiculous as we approached the millennium, and then, of course, the year 2000 came and went, and nothing of note really happened. I don't think... Uh, January 1st was a historical moment for any reason, the year 2000, not that I recall. But what was odd was that then, um, you know, a year and nine months after that, you had 9-11, and then you had the declaration of a worldwide digital surveillance grid that had already been put in place and now would be openly used not only to surveil for potential terrorists abroad, but would be turned inward. That the Department of Homeland Security would be using these systems to monitor us. And, of course, by that time, the Internet had become uh, very much an integral part of our lives. And by that time, many people, myself included to some extent, had poured so many different personal things onto the Internet through our emails, uh, just simply, you know, to our writings. Uh, it, it was just really, really bizarre to think that this sort of invisible eye controlled by humans was hovering over us. It was sort of something between a wrathful God and accusing Satan that was made manifest through the digital system and, you know, on up to COVID and what so on and so forth. So now I I really, I I don't, I, I, like I say, I never really uh, gravitated towards fundamentalism and still don't, but I think that, these narratives, these the, the mythos of the revelation uh, is, in fact, very, very important. And while I don't really see it in terms of like a one-to-one association between the different images and historical uh, phenomena that we see now, contemporary history, at least not for the most part, I do think that the overarching narrative is, in fact, a very serious warning to humanity from the first century and that uh, taken as a whole that motif should be um sh- should be taken very seriously uh, at least by anyone who has any inclination towards the spiritual
1: i think you're right on a couple of fronts and i think humans have this uh simplistic attitude towards life in some degree but there's like a lot of complex things that we don't understand there's a lot of things that i don't understand you probably don't understand we try and make sense of things and i think that's in fact a good thing we don't have the answers to everything but what society has gone and done is they've created a certain system say ai and they've gone oh this is amazing this is going to progress us forward in so many incredible ways but they haven't really seen the future of what the the damages that it could do well they don't really care to do it because they're so focused on the here and now and what this is actually going to, or how this is actually going to benefit society, but also towards the other point of when you enter into the early two thousands, you've got these people trying to project and say, Oh, Christ is going to return th- this day. And this day, like I remember people saying, I think it was the minds of the Incas. They had 2012 yeah. or something. And That's right. uh, that came and went and everyone's going, you don't know. That's the thing. There's like my, my initial point when i started this explanation was we just don't know there's a lot that i question today in terms of revelation of what is actually transpiring in our world we don't know officially how it's all going to look or play out we just have a glimpse so to speak but i guess i wanted to ask you with everything that you have learned over your life and everything that is transpiring in the world at the moment with technology you've got wars you've got so many things taking place do you think that or why is why do you think revelation is an important resource at the moment or do you believe that it is an important resource
2: yes um so the one one of the elements that i focus on the book and i just mentioned it this this idea of a beast system right yeah, that um, I think that's one of the most striking, uh, and it has, has long since been. Uh, again, uh, you know, that's one of the key things that was at the forefront of the apocalyptic premillennial uh, culture around me, and Southeast Tennessee, in, the, in and around the Southern Baptist um, churches.
1: I got it too, my this friend. Is, don't worry.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, this uh, this idea of a beast system is maybe the most visceral you know the notion that everyone will be marked on their hand or their forehead and that uh, in order to buy or sell in order to participate in society one will have to take the mark and the mark will have a number right the number of a name uh, the number 666 which has been interpreted various ways uh nero uh you're probably familiar with the Uh, geometric uh, uh, interpretation of of Nero from the Greek translated into the Hebrew and then uh, broken down numerically by letter uh, comes out to 666 or 616 and um, perhaps it was a code for what was happening at the time of course in Rome um, you would have slaves that were branded on their forehead and you would have soldiers that were branded on their hands so it wasn't that there was no material to work with at the time but taken as a whole what uh paul i'm sorry what john was talking about is uh, he tried to describe this vision i mean the vision is of uh, you know a, a world leader that would be over all of these diverse peoples diverse tongues diverse nations and would have taken over all of them and forced all of them into this system and you know the i believe it was the second beast that could call down fire from the heavens and would make an image of the first beast that could speak and force people to worship it. And uh, whatever, you know, you can imagine at the time, uh, Caesar, you know, Roman citizens were forced to um, pay homage to Caesar as a god, the statue. Uh, One could imagine that perhaps John was simply speaking of that. And yet, and yet, uh, it was, it's, it's so much more, Intense than anything was happening, even in Rome, uh, even to the martyrs in Rome. This mm. vision, and and it, it, there's there's obviously so much more to it as well, uh, with the the plagues and the uh, the 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 locusts that you know the, the flying uh, human faced monstrous locusts with the scorpion tails, almost like drone swarms, and um, you know all, all the way down into the, the final destruction. I I, I think that um, however it would take. I, perhaps more time than than we have even now to go into even the the most bare details. But you you think about the the whole of the the story that's being told in Revelation, uh, the rise of a world leader, the, basically a satanic theocracy in which all people are marked by a number, and uh, all of it leading towards an enslavement and then final destruction, that. Um, and you 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 look at the the that, the idea of the mark on the head and the mark on the hand, and you see the way that things have panned out. That uh, in indeed, you know, biohackers are already uh, voluntarily chipping themselves in their hands, and already you have people with a mark in the head, so to speak, um, paralytics with brain computer interfaces. Some probably sixty or seventy now at this point. Uh, or the, um, you know, I I would bet that we're getting close to 200,000 by now, but certainly 160,000 plus people with deep brain stimulation implants. And so it's not hard to imagine that as technocratic systems become more and more prevalent and more and more precise in their control of a population, that in fact uh, we could be forced into a system in which such things as a chip in the hand were required in order to buy and sell, required in order to go to school, required in order to go to work, to get on the train, to go on a plane, to perhaps even leave your house. Um, And that, you know, in the most horrific idea of of, of where these technologies could go, that that some could perhaps have a mark on the head uh, that allowed access to one's thoughts and perhaps even allowed the electronic system some degree of control over the human. But these are all in the realm of imagination, be it the religious notion of a, of, a, of a vast cosmic global transformation or the technological notion of a vast cosmic global transformation. At the moment, what we see are these kind of partial realizations of these, these, these ideas, these dream worlds. And so just looking around now, surve- surveying the landscape now, especially post-COVID, And you see the push for vaccine passports still. You see the lingering digitized systems still. And you, beyond belief, I can't, it's just amazing to me that this is even happening, that it was even rolled out. But you've probably, perhaps even seen if you have Whole Foods in Australia, that uh, Amazon One palm payment systems are, are to be in every Whole Foods by the end of the year. And we reported on it in the war room when it first came out. And even then, I was like, how are they really going to be able to go ahead with this? Now they're going to have them everywhere. And it's optional, right? Op- you you choose to do it, but you pay with your palm. Your palm becomes your wallet, mm. leaving you in control, as the advertisement says. And it's impossible to me that um, the, the idea that everyone at Amazon did not, or I'm sorry, that most of the people at Amazon did not see any association given how widespread the concept of a B system was, uh, even if it was an object of mockery in the, the pre millennial era. Uh, it's some number of people at Amazon are laughing at Christians. And, uh, and, and, but oddly enough, there, aren't, there are too few Christians who aren't alarmed, A, that such a system is being normalized. Uh, and B, that you have one of the most powerful corporations on earth that people just turn to as a matter of convenience uh, or um, frugality, uh, that this company is rolling out a system that so grossly mocks the prophecies uh, in the Bible. So, uh, you know, just to to tie it all together, where I see us now, uh, undoubtedly some version of the dreams found in Revelation, uh, some version of the, the dreams of the Kali Yuga in the Hindu tradition, the, the Vishnu Purana, um, and some version of the techno-utopian or at, at the very least techno-accelerationist dreams, some version of all of these are are coming to pass. And, and in many ways, perhaps it really is a matter of perspective. If, you, if you're a techno-accelerationist, it looks like the coming of, a, of at least a, an approximation of heaven on earth and if you are a Christian, or at least you take these Christian prophecies seriously, then it looks like the descent into something like hell on earth. Uh, but without a doubt, without a doubt, uh, big changes are afoot, and I would imagine that much bigger changes are coming and are coming fast.
1: I remember during COVID, we had a lot of people saying that those that got the vaccine, it was the the mark of the beast, and I'm going. Nah you got to read revelations. <laughs> um and then you had people say because Elon Musk is creating Neuralink which I want to get into the brain chip which is fascinating. People were saying that he's the antichrist as well. And I'm going, nah. Nah, you got to read your bible yet again. And then I was speaking with Jennifer Billick yesterday and yeah, I love Jennifer. I do too now actually. Uh she was talking about And her research goes into Jeff Bezos and Amazon and what he does with funding trans research and all of that evilness that's coming out of that. And people don't necessarily know too much about that, but also the technological advancements that Amazon is involved with, the hand payment, everyone's going, oh, that looks so cool because the messaging behind it is obviously so simple it's so cool, but they don't necessarily see the dangers later on down the track. And I saw a video not that long ago. I don't know if you've seen it. It It's like a lady. She was, uh, I think she was advertising how she had the, the uh, payment chip in her hand. I think it was. Oh yeah. And then the, the advertisement video was like all positive. And then she released another video not too long ago and she was not happy. At all, I think she was really concerned and really frightened because she was speaking out against the chip in her in her hand. Just talking about all the problems, and the government started to go after. Her, I think.
2: Uh, wait, wait, point. we're talking about the Amazon or a chip?
1: It was an actual chip. I, I don't think it was for Amazon specifically. I think it was yeah,
2: Amazon. The you know the Amazon is just purely biometric. Just, boop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was, it
1: was something. It was something similar. Like she got a chip implanted into uh-huh. this part of her hand and uh-huh. she would just go into different shops and tap it was here in australia um okay i think i think she actually did go into amazon like the first amazon well, you store can do in australia. Yeah,
2: once you have it in your hand just like you do with the tap credit card once you've got a chip in your hand you can tap it in the same fashion it has your credit card information on it, it basically functions um, uh, there's not really a good equivalent because it's more than a credit card, far less than a smartphone, uh, but it functions in the same fa- uh, capacity.
1: Nevertheless, it was really interesting. And I'm wondering, so with the Neuralink, the chip that's going in our head, why are they putting another chip in our hand? Why can't they just have it necessarily in the chip? And you just, you know, you walk past and it recognizes that implant.
2: You know, uh, it, when you speak in terms of, like, they, I, I, you know, I, I don't see it as a, as a singular they, uh, a singular them. Uh, the, the, the scariest theys I see are the ones with blue hair that keep telling me to call them they, them, theirs and all of this. <laughs> that's yes. the them that I worry about most. Um, Not really. I worry about them. I worry about their health, and I worry about their mental stability, by and large. I, sometimes I worry that they'll come shoot me. But – um. So, uh, you know, that's one of the most remarkable things about it, is that, yes, these ideas have floated around in the apocalyptic Christian circles. Yes, these ideas have floated around in the pro-technological circles. Um, uh, And yet, uh, there's something kind of disconnected and and, and organic about it all. So that uh, it's more just these ideas kind of floating through the society. So some people are going to be more inclined towards, you know, using – uh palm chips to access rooms in their house or to access their phones right that's one of the things you can use it to unlock your phone to get into your social media and um and to to pay for your train tickets or use as a train ticket and so on and so forth of course for payment systems in general and it wouldn't make much sense to put it in your head right it would be an (laughs) odd cultural moment if people were paying for things with their foreheads you know the hand the hand is a natural choice, um, but for the head, uh, you've got a couple of different things going on around the the, the forehead region. You've got, uh, for instance, the clear scanners that you see at the airports uh, and have for years now. Uh, brought in really uh, after 9/11 is when they really got their their start, and it's only grown since. But you know, you're scanning primarily your face and your eyes in order that now your your face is your your digital identity. Uh, and then you have the evil orb of uh, the, the the evil orb from WorldCoin World ID, where your eyeball becomes your identity, and you've linked your your ID to uh, to to your your body in another way that's suspiciously close to the forehead. Uh, but when you look at the brain implant, uh, the the brain implant technology as as it exists today. Um, it's a very different function right so the the for the input, the only systems that are really capable of input for the most part for now are uh, deep brain stimulation implants that uh, snake into very specific regions of the brain they 'll do everything from reducing parkinson 's tremors to hope they they would like to to think although the results have been limited to uh, help increase cognitive ability or at least to decrease uh, the loss of memory in people who have Alzheimer's. They've also used them in, uh, in Asia primarily, I think Singapore or perhaps it's Korea um, or both, but uh, they've used it to reduce addiction impulses so that uh, there are regions of the brain that when stimulated, the desire to use can be reduced. And they, most remarkably, very recently, they've started to use them for chronic depression, um mm-hmm. uh, a, a very interesting story which i go into in the book or uh, reference there was a woman in boston who was part of an experimental program in order to reduce depression with the implant in her brain uh the the overall study didn't it didn't it failed but this woman believed that it worked for her and she wrote an op-ed for a, a paper in boston for an outlet in boston and she remarked that the implant was put in on 60606 uh-huh. Uh, and that it was, uh, you know, uh, an inauspicious number, but nonetheless, she, um, she was quite, she was a satisfied customer. She was happy again. She was free of her depression by way of a brain implant. So, uh, I, I, I sorry if I've gone on over long, but that, you know, that is the extent at the moment, you know, in labs, they can do all kinds of things with animals, right? They can basically take an animal over. Uh, you know, mammals, you know, deer, dogs, all you know, and, and, and control what way they move, whether they're hungry. They can do all sorts of things and they could do the same to humans. And some say they already are. Uh, perhaps the evidence is scant, but perhaps it wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I just haven't seen any hard evidence. I've seen a lot of crazy people claiming it with very flimsy evidence. So. Uh, but you move on to the the, the brain computer interfaces. I mean, the ones that are most advanced right now come from BlackRock Neurotech and Synchron, and these basically allow people to who are locked in, they're paralyzed, they can control devices, control cursors on screen. Uh, they can even there there's systems there's one system in particular funded by Mark Zuckerberg's foundation and Facebook, uh, conducted by a, a, a surgeon or led by a surgeon. Who enjoys a lot of funding from DARPA, uh, America's Advanced Research Projects Agency for the, de- the Defense Department, and um, and the tech was supplied by BlackRock Neurotech, and it allowed the man to think words rather than moving a cursor around to think words. The machine could correlate his neurological activity with words, allowing him to, in essence, you know, type words or speak. Um, that is, you know, there are a number of other things that can be done, but that's kind of the, the limits right now of the technology. However, if you were to dream of a world in which Elon Musk gets his way, and you don't have to think of it as Elon Musk as a one-world leader, uh, you know, Caesar over the entire planet and perhaps the entire solar system. You could think of it in terms of just he is one among many competitors who has managed to create a, a techno-digital empire uh, on Earth, uh, across national borders, uh, with millions or perhaps billions of people who are ultimate reliant, uh, ultimately reliant upon his system, and you think about it as a kind of hierarchy or a, you know a little mini cosmos within a, a cosmos, then you've got XAI at the top, this this artificial general intelligence he's now attempting to build, and it is it is a system in which you have basically. A a machine that is superhuman in its cognition and its ability to rake over data. It is, in essence, godlike, right? It's an artificial general intelligence, an AGI, or as I often say, an artificial godlike intelligence, or maybe it's a number of different AI, AGIs. And below that, you have human beings, and as we uh, bustle around our little cybernetic ant farms... Uh, many human beings have full, whole brain, brain-computer interfaces that have access to the entire brain, feeding that AI or those AIs, and allowing human beings to commune with those AIs. And you have an infrastructure that is largely driven by robots. The labor is done by robots. The transport is done by robots. Right? You've seen his Optimus, his humanoid robot. Let's imagine just you know go down the Schizo Tunnel and imagine that that also comes to fruition, and now blue-collar labor is done by these humanoid robots. Everywhere you go, you simply call up your, your, your robot on wheels with your brain, and up it goes, and on you go. And uh, then you, this entire system running on Starlink uh, satellites, right? I mean, half, literally half the satellites, functional satellites in the sky right now are Starlink satellites. And um, so as, you know, he, he not only has enveloped the planet With digital devices. He's managed to screw them into various brains. He's got a digital system that's capable of comprehending the entire digital system, perhaps the entire biosphere, and to monitor most people, if not all people, all the time. And Musk, of course, was, um, uh, in the early phase anyway, involved in the uh, production of uh, mRNA uh, through CureVac. And he still uh, believes that mRNA and, in general, genetic engineering is uh, a frontier and a frontier worth pursuing. So one can imagine then that we also have, uh, I don't don't know, Tesla jabs that uh, can increase your intelligence. Whatever need you have for your brain with this brain-computer interface, it increases your intelligence. It reduces your uh, risk of cancer. It allows you to become big and buff. Um, and it, you know it allows you to uh, stay hard and go go all night, right? Uh, and, not, and you don't even have to pop a pill. You you just simply have to get that one genetic injection. And you imagine a civilization in which all of these things come to fruition. And Musk has, and again, this is not necessarily all the world, everybody, but just distributed across the planet, across the society. This is in fact one of the social worlds, the kind of sacred canopies that that stretches over humankind. If we imagine that men like Musk actually do realize their dreams uh, to any extent, and men like Mark Zuckerberg, and men like uh, Jeff Bezos, and and you know men like Sam Altman, men like uh, Bill Gates, Peter Thiel, so on and so forth, all these people who who are in control of so much capital are in control of so much of the the corporate landscape and, and of course, the technologies that are in control of so many people's lives, and you imagine these coming to full fruition over the course of the next few decades, even if it's only at 50%, right? Even if it's at exactly half-assed, you're talking about a total transformation of what it is to be human. You're talking about a total transformation of how governments operate, how education operates, uh, how wars are conducted. And, you know, to the extent that it is fully functional, you're talking about total control, or at least the ability of total control over people and their lives. They can be marshaled like worker ants, the snap of a finger, but you don't even need them because you've got robots to do that anyway, right? But let's just say it's only 50%. Well, now you've got a world in which everything has been transformed for some half-assed technology on the promise of perfection, or at least some approximation of perfection, and people have given up their long, the, the, the hard-earned skills that have brought us to the place we are now as human beings. The social skills, the practical skills, the military skills, the, all of it. Uh, we've given it up and turned it over to algorithmic co- uh, cognition and automation, only to have glitchy, half-assed machines running everything, And, uh, you know, you probably barely even know because every, you know, all inputs, all informational inputs are so controlled. You're probably being being told every day as you're scratching your infected trode that everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. We are already in heaven now. All this is to say that we are at a point where the dreams of what a civilization can and should be are up for grabs. And the traditional modes, uh, the traditional dreams of what humanity is and what our purpose is and what our direction is ultimately have largely been cast aside. And in this humanist phase that we're in right now, it's all about what we will be as humans, what we can do as humans, what we can accomplish as humans. But more and more so, we're moving into something that is transhuman, that is beyond human. And that is becoming increasingly the goal of the civilization and the goal of various civilizations around the world and the goal of those individuals within it. And so what I see as being perhaps the most important is that sacred canopy, is that grand narrative. And as we're in this struggle over narratives, which narratives predominate, the most important narratives will be those civilizational narratives. Where do we come from? Where are we at now? Where are we going? And even if we never get close to where they're saying we're going, you can be sure we're definitely going to go somewhere. We better be very, very careful about those decisions. And if you are, you find yourself in a civilization going that direction, I would—I, for me, uh, hopefully you—you you can we can meet up at the uh, the local Luddite commune.
1: That was uh, again a brilliant explanation. And I think we should be very concerned with where we are heading as a society, as a civilization. The Elon Musk, the Tesla jab kind of reminded me of, um, this is my imagination running here, but you know, the boys, that that TV show on Amazon, the Compound V that uh, they inject into young kids uh, to basically make them into superheroes. And- Ah. Like, it's it's fascinating to me because we have all this technology available to us with, you know, AI and what they're doing with Neuralink and that sort of thing. Would it be possible, you think, in the future with having all this technology that is constantly evolving, do you think that we could potentially see superhumans?
2: Uh, in some sense, we already are. Uh, huh. Look at Brian, Brian Johnson, uh, the kind of transhumanist vampire hero yeah, I believe, uh, he made his his wealth with with a company called BrainTree, if I'm not mistaken, a payment company. But you know he's 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 under constant self surveillance. His entire body is under self surveillance. Uh, everything he does is regimented. Right, it's like a a one man technocracy. Uh, all with the goal of becoming superhuman, of of, re- of reversing aging. Um, you know, he's even injected the the blood of his his son, and has offered the, his own blood to his father. I oftentimes joke that. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll be offered Brian Johnson blood smoothies for the rest of us. Uh, he'll just anyway. Uh, yeah. So in in some sense, we already are. And, and even in warfare. Right. Um, I, I think that it's pretty obvious, even in like Israel and Gaza right now, that uh, while low tech civilizations can maybe get a few shots in the high tech civilization is going to pummel the shit out of you when that happens. Yeah. And economically, uh, it's just really no question. So uh, as compared to human beings of 1750, uh, just your average person today is superhuman in some capacity by virtue of their augmentation. I mean, I can get across the country in four days. Nobody could do that 200 years ago. Right. Or 150 years ago, Um, uh, perhaps with trains. But you get the point. Uh, So, yeah, I think we're already there. Now, going forward, these dreams, the the dreams of the railroad were, uh, I think, um, they did not take into account the horror that would occur, right? The mass slaughter of Buffalo, the complete degradation of the ecosystems in the interior of the country. People don't realize how little of the natural ecosystem of the the plains and the entire center of the country has been completely ravaged, even more so than in the forested areas now, which are almost all second growth after the first ravaging. Uh, But this time around, I think that that ravaging is not going to be turned outward onto the environment. In fact, they seem to be quite intent on at least um, keeping certain parts of the environment intact, although it seems that in in China and Africa – (laughs) The degradation is proceeding apace. No, uh, in this phase, rather than terraforming the earth around us to exploit and use for our own purposes, it appears that we ourselves are going to be terraformed, are already being terraformed. And while it does grant and confers to some extent superhuman powers, both powers of knowledge and cognition by way of the digital networks, powers of communication, powers of control over an economy, uh in on the small or even the larger and larger scales um it confers all of that and yet it would seem in the degrading of social relationships and the degrading of sh- social norms uh in the increasing kind of simplicity of the narratives that human the 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 modern man today is is even able to absorb and hold in in his or her head uh, no, I, it seems to me that we're seeing simultaneous, simultaneously increases in capabilities by way of technology, while we are atrophying very much uh, in our natural abilities, our organic abilities, and and ultimately in our ability to access those spiritual modes that saw us through up until this point. Now, I'll readily grant to Stephen Pinker that I can get uh, you know a box of biscuits much cheaper than my ancestors could, but I do believe my ancestors were far more skilled in survival and in, so- in conducting their social lives uh, than I am, and I fear that, should I have progeny, that they will be at risk of becoming more and more so um, uh, a sort of AI or human-machine symbiote, and it will more and more resemble a relationship in which the machine is the host and we are the parasites.
1: I think we've created a very soft and lazy and weak society, especially with the advent of new technologies. Sure, it may have seemed great at the time, but the implication is we're so reliant on technology now that it doesn't take much for technology to be removed. And again, all hell breaks loose as a result. Like we're so dependent on it that our survival instincts, skills, you name it, have just gone down the toilet along with it. And it's sad to see young kids because in schools, they're glued to a screen consistently. Their writing skills, their reading skills have gone down along with it. And everyone's going, we need more AI. We need more technology for these young minds. It's going to benefit them. It's not. And you got, I think it was here in Australia on on the radio, I was listening to, how the government is asking for young kids to integrate new technology and AI for older people that don't understand it. They want this entire unity amongst every single age demographic and and generation. It's insane. Like you've got the old people that don't actually want any part of it. They want to remain off grid, you name it. They don't fully understand it. And now the government's going, no, no, the young people must. And we're going to pay the young people to teach the older
2: people i'm like slow down stop <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it's also dystopian maybe because of its subtlety George you know, Orwell. The dystopian films and the dystopian literature of course it's, a f- it's fiction so quite exaggerated quite hyperbolic it's pretty obvious that ink socks gonna come fuck you up right <laughs> and throw you gonna you know, throw you into room 101 and put rats in your face like that's, that's, you know, it's very intense. The telescreens barking at you every day, telling you to do your calisthenics better, all of that. But that those elements are here, right? This is a telescreen. Mm. It's a one to one telescreen. It's being monitored, uh, at least by algorithms, uh, and perhaps by humans. And in my case, uh, being in the position that I am, I would imagine a human probably peeks in every now and then. Um, uh, in fact, they probably aren't doing their jobs technically if they're not. Um, So, yeah, the subtlety of it is something that really, really bothers me and and how quickly it fades into the background, how quickly something that would be totally shocking, uh, you know, in in Metropolis, right, the 1927 film, uh, just imagine being a German watching that uh, in the aftermath of World War I and seeing this, this monstrous, satanic, you know, sex bot stand up and walk around and then become... In fact, a uh, kind of horror version of this virginal union leader, uh, Maria, and just the absolute horror then. And now we call that deep fakes. Now we call that sex bots. Now we call it Amica. Now we call it Sophia.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, it's it's, it's and, and in fact, people, for the most part, yes, people are kind of irked by it and they're weirded out by it, but they very quickly acculturate. So um, yeah, I, 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 me I think that the the best thing to do, if you can, is to resist acculturation to make sure that it keeps looking like dystopia and not looking like day to day life, and find every possible way to extract your your to to extricate yourself from the situation, to do your best to preserve what we have known as human. Uh, existence up to this point it's it's going to be very difficult increasingly difficult unless you see breakdowns in the economy uh, or hard stops on these technological systems uh, that's also possible I wouldn't count on it though I think that going forward I'm only half joking about that Luddite commune uh, and its various counterparts right uh, I, I I think that these sorts of things uh, even to the uh, up up to the edge of total kind of primitivism and extremity, I don't think many people are going to get on too well that way, but as close as you can get, people are doing it already, and it's wonderful, uh, but I, I, I think that cultivating those sorts of alternative forms of existence, it's been a part of humanity forever, and it, I think it's going to be increasingly important as the transformations uh, continue apace in America, in Europe, in Australia, in China, in India. And across the planet.
1: I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about how uh, AI, they've got these uh, new chatbots or even the sex bots, and you, they take your digital face and they create an AI version of you. So, what this yeah. OnlyFans creator was doing was she wasn't actually working herself. She just uh, allowed this company to scan her face, gave away her privacy, her personal details, information, you name it. They created the AI version of her and they integrated it within the OnlyFans uh, system. And then she was getting paid $100,000 for all these men to ask her AI version to do whatever the hell the AI version wanted to do and that was asked of these guys. And I'm just going, whoa, like this is going to... Re- men are already wrecked enough as it is, but they're going to be wrecked 10 times more with this sort of technology and women nowadays are complaining as well. Like, where are the men? I'm like, well, hello, (laughs) they're being porn was bad enough. Now we've got, you know, AI versions of that. And then you've got like, uh, I think it was virtual reality, all these things that just messes with the head so much more. I'm just like, no, stop, please, please stop.
2: (laughs) Um, you know I, I know we're basically out of time but if um are are we out of time is maybe a better way of putting it
1: well sure, sure. i was going to sort of wrap it up with that um that, okay. that would be my our final thoughts and then uh we can we can tie it all into a nice bow
2: well uh, just on that note um the the development of ai systems that can be trained uh to imitate your face to imitate your personality by way of your either your voice or your voice and the words that you produce, they can large language models can be trained to, in in essence, imitate you to become you, and the, uh, the ability of deep fakes to emulate uh, you. The concept of the digital twin is suddenly getting a lot of meat on its bones. Initially, a digital twin was nothing but a, a string of data sets that would describe in very abstract ways and quantify your behavior and your choices. Now, now the digital twin is quite literally a semi animate, animate clone of you. And people will do this willingly. They will want to create them. They'll think it's funny. They'll think it's neat. They'll mm. think it's cool. And, uh, the, the degree of unreality that we're facing, I'm sure you saw Lex Friedman and Mark Zuckerberg's, did. Yeah, the uh, what are they called? Uh, the uh, anyway, the the avatars that are now being created—they've uh, been actually at it for since 2019, but they've perfected them in the metaverse. Now, people, huh? In the metaverse. The, yeah, the metaverse, but uh, there's a specific name for this—these uh, avatars, the the photorealistic avatars. Um, but you know, you can just—you don't have to imagine too far. In fact, to some extent, as you describe, it's already happening. it it kind of begins with this digital mediation of human-to-human and increasingly detaching itself from the physical, from the visceral, from the organic, and becoming something that exists out in a a virtual realm. And with the advances in AI as they are, uh, we are really right on the cusp not only of being able to have these kind of photorealistic interactions in virtual reality or just through a computer screen or whatever, But rather than there being a human being on the other end of it, it's an AI. And Mm -hmm. an AI that right now they're not quite good enough, the large language models are not quite good enough to convince the discerning observer. But again, unless we're at a hard stop, GPT-5, maybe GPT-6, or maybe Claude coming out of Anthropic, that seems to be pretty alarming how quickly they are developing now with $4 billion from Amazon uh, we are right on the cusp of human beings having full relationships with non human entities. In the olden days, they called that communing with spirits. They called it necromancy. They called it sorcery. They called it witchery. Or they called it prayer. Uh, n- tomorrow or the day after, uh, they're simply going to call it progress. They're going to yeah. call it tech culture.
1: Yeah, or normal. this is all normal the new normal the new normal as club schwab or whatever the hell his name is the that new world order so to speak like get used to it because it's coming i'm like not if i can help it and not if a lot of other people like yourself can help it. that lex friedman thing i was actually watching and then listening at the same time and i'm going This may seem, and Lex Friedman kept saying, this is amazing stuff. This is really, really cool. I love this. The amount of times that he said, this is cool, was just, you you could create a drinking game out of it, (laughs) honestly. And you might need those drinks. You probably will uh, to stay a little. (laughs) Anyway, it was just, I was thinking the entire time, Lex, you've given over your personal face to Mark Zuckerberg and his company. They've scanned you. It's now forever. You can't get that back. And he's encouraging so many other people to do the exact same thing for what? So that we can be in this virtual space, make it act like we're there, but we're really not to trick our brains. No, thanks. Anyway, thought I would uh, finish on that (laughs) side of things. But Joe, I've loved this conversation. I'm definitely going to have to have you back again, because there's so much more that we didn't cover where can people get a copy of your book?
2: The first place I would recommend bookshop.org bookshop.org. They're lefty. They even put gay stuff like Latinx and some of their writing. I don't care. They're human beings. Uh, and if you have a problem, you can call them bookshop.org, pick it up. Dark Eon transhumanism and the war against humanity. A E O N. It puts a lot of meat on all these bones that we've been picking over. Uh, if you're acclimated to Amazon, though, pick it up at Amazon and uh, give the beast its due, uh, or Barnes & Noble. But if you're adventurous, pick it up at X Y Z. It's on discount there. It, it, they only accept Bitcoin, and they're not trying to get you to use Bitcoin so that you can get rich on a Ponzi scheme. These are Orthodox Christians who are convinced that blockchain-based payment systems, Bitcoin being but one version, but that Bitcoin and blockchain-based payment systems will be one of the ways that we're able to evade the increasingly um, threatening digital systems that are coming out of our governments. So, Canonic XYZ, pick up your copy, or bookshop.org.
1: Well, I'll make sure that is all linked in the show notes below. But, Joe, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast.
2: Hey, man, it's almost like you're Lex and I'm Mark. And we're just like – it's like we're right here, man. It's like it's like I can Feels see good, you right it? here, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been fa- fa- fantastic, dude. Uh, God bless, mate. Anyway, that, that wasn't a very good Australian accent. But anyway, uh, may the spirit of Bon Scott be with you. Isn't that what you guys say when you say goodbye?